business, finance, and economics. This is Finance Fridays, Rural Economics for Rural Life. Welcome to episode 16. After months of wrangling, sorry, excuse me, years of wrangling, debating, negotiating, and everything else, it has come down to this. We are approaching the end game of solving the question of Britain's relationship with the European Union as it departs the bloc. With the major issues of fisheries and state aid still to be resolved, who blinked first in this week's negotiations? And what happened at that all-important EU summit on Thursday? And where do we go from here? All of this and much more coming up. I feel silly because I can't believe I actually thought something tangible on Brexit will come out this week because it seems like we're still stuck in square one where we've always been for the past four years. Let's be honest. This was supposed to be the week where somebody had to compromise and the deal was to be finally agreed and signed or the talks were to fall apart, initiating no deal proceedings. But as it turned out, We got neither of those two outcomes because on Wednesday, the UK government made a U-turn and pretty much just said Thursday, October 15th is no longer a hard deadline to reach an agreement with the EU. So we'll keep talking. Now, how did the EU side respond? What were EU member states and leaders saying at that all important EU council meeting in Brussels on Thursday and Friday? Well, they were united. They were actually all singing from the same hymn sheet. They pretty much just said, listen, we want an agreement. We want a deal, a good deal with the UK, but not at any cost. For now, we'll continue to work flat out to reach that shared objective. And they also reaffirmed the two key stumbling blocks in the negotiations. And they are, one, fisheries, and then secondly, the levelling up of the playing field in terms of competition. Now, I think we are all pretty familiar with the implications of a no-deal Brexit by now. So I don't really need to rehash stuff like tariffs and quotas will be reinstated on businesses after 40 years of frictionless trade between the two sides. In fact, the OECD, a highly respected Paris-based think tank, is warning that a no-deal disorderly Brexit could damage the UK's economic recovery from the coronavirus pandemic, shrinking GDP by 6.5%. The same goes for individuals. Travelling arrangements will have to change, from passports to travel insurance. Interestingly enough, the UK's Transport Secretary Mr Grant Shapps admitted this week that, in the event of a no-deal Brexit, flights between the UK and the European Union could be grounded. No-deal Brexit could also bring up some constitutional issues. There's a possibility that there could be another independence referendum in Scotland. Plus, the real risk of a reunification on the island of Ireland uniting North and the Republic once again. 
Even if both sides come up with a botched up skinny trade deal, there will still be friction between the two sides. In fact, right now, the UK is spending £470 million on new border infrastructure in preparation for the end of the Brexit transition period, whether there is a deal or not, because of the new checks that will be applied on trade with the European Union. Alright, for now, let's try and tackle the two key stumbling blocks that are holding up the negotiations. Firstly, fisheries. So after the transition period on December 31st, 2020, the UK government aims to cut off European fishing vessels' access to British waters and negotiate any access and allowable catches on an annual basis. The European Union, on the other hand, sees fisheries as almost the keystone of any future economic agreement between the two sides. In their negotiating position, they pretty much just say, look, any talks on trade must start with the continuation of the current EU fishing arrangement, where European vessels have open access to British waters and remain under the management of the common fisheries policy, which the UK despises, including annual quotas. The way that the common fisheries policy works, if you're interested, is that the fishing fleets of every country involved have full access to each other's waters, apart from the first 12 nautical miles out from the coast. But they can't catch whatever they like. EU ministers gather for marathon talks every December to haggle over the volume of fish that can be caught from each species. National quotas are then divided up using historical data and this is where the UK fishing industry says it's got a bad deal. That's where the government wants to increase the British quota um, and share um, significantly. So you can see that this is clearly a big flashpoint between the two sides. And for me, it's a politically emotive issue. In Britain, coastal fishing communities voted overwhelmingly for Brexit. Take, for example, Grimsby or Great Yarmouth. Over 70% of their electorate were pro-Brexit. Many British fishermen argue that joining the European Union led to the decimation of their industry. And for them, this is a glorious golden opportunity. Because for British fishermen, it's all about sovereignty and taking back control. That phrase that resonates so much with so many of those who were pro-Brexit. On the other side, you have coastal communities in EU member states like France, Denmark, Spain, Portugal, Ireland that also have a vested interest in this matter. So this is a case of access to markets. But it's not just about where fish can be caught, it's also about where fish can be sold. That's one reason why the UK is arguing that access to markets should be nothing to do with access to fishing waters. But the EU is making the link. They're saying without a deal on fish, there will be no special access for the UK to the European Union single market. For me, this is classic politics over economics. Because if you look at the value of fishing in 2018, 
according to the Office for National Statistics, fishing was worth a mere £784 million to the UK economy. Now, to put that into perspective, let's compare it to what the UK does best, financial services. The financial services industry was worth a whopping £132 billion. My question is, are these people, President Macron, Prime Minister Johnson, Chancellor Merkel, David Frost, Michel Barnier, really prepared to have history books in the year 3000 or something, stating that they failed to resolve Brexit because of fish? That's the type of legacy you want to leave behind? I just don't get it. And now, let's take a look at the second key stumbling block in the negotiations, and that is, of course, levelling up the playing field and competition in terms of state aid. Now, it begs the question, what the hell is state aid? Well, since the Treaty of Rome in 1957, EU member states have been banned from giving companies or industries special help that would distort competition. What that essentially means is that governments cannot hand out subsidies, tax rebates or take stakes in companies unless it is justified by reasons of general economic development. Okay, so why is this a problem in Brexit talks? The European Union's position is that it will only grant tariff-free access to the single market if the United Kingdom respects European standards on environmental protection, workers' rights and state aid. This is known as levelling the playing field. The European Union wants to prevent British firms undercutting their European rivals either by tearing up environmental legislation or showering companies with government grants and indirect aid. Boris Johnson's government, on the other hand, is arguing that the levelling playing field defeats the whole purpose of Brexit because it ties the UK to EU rules in perpetuity. In fact, the UK's chief negotiator went further. Um, His name is David Frost. He said um, the EU's position derives from the, and I quote, fundamentals of being a sovereign state. So the EU wants to prevent the UK from becoming a sovereign state. Essentially, the UK government wants a free hand to support companies, especially tech startups. Behind this vision is the Prime Minister's chief advisor, Mr Dominic Cummings. He has a dream of turning the United Kingdom into a European tech superpower, much like Silicon Valley in California. I don't know how realistic that dream is, but um, a man can dream. Why not? The EU's 27 member states set a demanding opening position for the EU's chief negotiator, the Frenchman, Mr Michel Barnier. Their proposal aims to keep the UK in lockstep with EU rules on state aid as they evolve. And they also expect the UK to set up a tough, independent regulator to oversee state aid. So can the two sides agree on this issue? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to tell. There is a deal to be done, though. However, in the event of a no deal, 
the government would not escape all state aid regulation because the UK would remain bound by World Trade Organization anti-subsidy rules, meaning the EU could impose tariffs on British goods if it believed UK subsidies were harming European industry. Alright, given everything we've just gone through, what's my hot take on everything? Let's kick it off with fisheries. Listen, I'm with the UK government on this one because the European Union can't expect the UK to be still be a part of the common fisheries policy when they're not an EU member, but yet at the same time, the European Union has unlimited access to their British waters. That sounds a little bit wild to me. I think if I was in government, I, I, I think I would have the same position of like, yo, we need to have some constructive talks over quotas, over our fish. Obviously, Britain is a very fish-rich coastal state, um, from shellfish, mackerel, salmon, herring, cod, all of that. And yeah, I, I'd want, you know, some barriers in place um, in terms of access to my particular markets. So yeah, I, I, I kinda I'm kinda with the UK government on that one. Alright, let's look at state aid. Here I'm with the European Union. <laughs> because there's no way in hell that I'm going to have a competitor who's just left our club allow them to undercut us on regulation and they'll just have De massive deregulations, low corporation tax, and have all the foreign direct investment flood to the UK. And, you know, they're going to take away all the competition of our firms. Nah, nah. The European Union should stand strong on that one. I don't think that's a viable thing. Like, if, even if it was the other way around, I think the UK would have the same position of, no, you can't just undercut us. We know the game you're playing here. We know why you want rules of a state aid, um, why you don't want to level the playing field. So, yeah, for this one, I'm, I'm with the European Union. I think they should uh, stay strong on that one because that, that, that's, that's a real, that's a game changer in terms of GDP, in terms of competition, foreign direct investment. The UK could, like, galvanize all of that globally from the United States to Asia they would take up all of that. The European Union would be left with, with nothing. They would have to compete. They would have to deregulate themselves in terms of environmental protections, workers' rights, all of that. So, nah, I, I stand with the EU on the state aid rules thing. Now, it's currently Friday, October 16th. The end of the transition period is on December 31st, 2020. So, both sides have essentially two and a half months to agree everything. Um, yeah, make a deal. And then don't forget, there also has to be ratification in both parliaments, in the European Union's parliament in Brussels and the UK's parliament in Westminster. At this rate, we might need another transition period because... Is there going to be enough time for businesses and households to adjust to new trading rules, tr trading arrangements, 
travel arrangements that we actually don't have a clue what's coming. Nothing has been agreed yet. We're still in the talking phase. I'm calling for another transition period. What's the problem? Because it's just a mess right now. There's just not enough time. These negotiations, remember, were supposed to be done back in July. Back in July. <laughs> it's mad. Like, what are we doing here? Hey, listen, my main takeaway is this. I do believe there will be a trade deal to come. Because why would Prime Minister Johnson um, effectively make a U-turn on his self-imposed hard deadline on Thursday, October 15th and say, no, we don't want to immediately call off the talks. We're going to continue to negotiate. And why would the European Union, why is the European Union like the chief negotiator, he's been saying there's been no progress over talks up until now, over the summer, into the autumn, no progress. They're continuing to talk. Why not just call off the talks and have a no deal? I think it just means to me that there will be a last minute Canada style skinny trade deal that will come in. Um, and yeah, both sides seem to be, I don't know, afraid of no deal. Um, whether the economic or political consequences of it. Um, and remember, trade deals are much more than just economics. A large part of it is politics. Like I mentioned in my previous episode uh, between the UK and Japan trade deal. Um, if you haven't already checked that out, make sure to do so. Whereby it reaffirms your position in the world as a an actor who... Um, conforms to international norms and standards and values and all that stuff so of course there's an economic cost to this but there might be a wider political cost whereby where will that leave the UK and EU relationship going forward over things like security climate change will they be able to work together on those issues domestic uh, international terrorism all sorts of stuff so yeah I, I think a, t a trade deal is to come Definitely. Um, the markets, the financial markets seem to be thinking so. Um, commentators seem to think so as well. Um, but it obviously won't be as robust due to time. So, yeah, I'm predicting a last minute skinny trade deal that just kind of brushes everything or kicks the can down down the road until their next phase of negotiation. You know, the question that always comes up into my mind is, which is actually more harmful to the UK economy? Is it a no-deal Brexit or COVID-19 and the lockdowns that come with that? And, you know, I actually thought the recession that has been brought upon the UK economy by COVID-19 almost acted like a blessing in disguise because the economy is already on its knees. So Brexiteers could argue, listen, these negotiations are going nowhere. Let's just cut our losses and move on, you know, because the economy is already on its knees. Labor market shot to pieces, all of that. Businesses are closed. What have we got to lose? And, you know, in the short term, I do think COVID-19 will have a severe impact on the UK economy, probably more than Brexit. But over the longer horizon, 
once we move out of this COVID-19 stage, Brexit, don't make no mistake, will have real consequences and a real impact um, on the UK economy as a whole. So we'll see how the, this all materialises over time. Interesting to see. Well, that has been it for episode 16 of the Finance Fridays podcast. I hope that you've been informed and updated on the latest Brexit negotiations. Be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast provider and join us next week for a brand new episode. This is Finance Fridays, signing out. Peace.